Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Liz Loza here with Matt Harmon and our new producer, Ragu. Ragu, say hello to the people. Hey, how's it going? I'm <laughs> so, <that>, sorry. <laughs> well, that's why it's live. Um, so, yeah, we, we had the draft. Um, Matt and I worked Thursday and Friday giving y'all rapid reaction nuggets. But if that wasn't enough, if you weren't following us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy, as you should be, then hello. We're back for more. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and guess what? We're going to be back again on Thursday for even more. But right now, we're going to go through round two because holy smokes, Matt, 13 skill players were drafted. And that doesn't even include Jalen Hurts, who our own Charles Robinson is reporting that the Eagles will deploy, quote, like Taysom Hill on steroids. Whoa. Just what everybody Wowza. has always asked for, a more souped up version of Taysom Hill. Also, I mean, we're going to get to Jalen Hurts yeah. in a minute, but yeah. when we had our first round reaction podcast on Friday, I believe we were both sort of saying like, yeah, Doug Peterson wants to get crafty. And that was why he drafted uh, Jalen Rager. You know, to me, like this pick of Jalen Hurts is in fact confirmation of why he wanted a player with a skill set like Rager in the first round. Yeah, no, it's it's a good one to break down and like I, I mean we'll we'll get into it. But we'll let's do the whole damn thing, you know. All right, so let's start with a player that the Eagles passed on, much to the chagrin of some Philly fans. Who, my God, you guys are really <laughs> leaning into your reputation of being asshats. Wow, <laughs> come on and at me. Uh, but y'all didn't get T. Higgins. In fact, out of Clemson, wide receiver. In fact, it was. The Cincinnati Bengals, who add to their offensive arsenal this time last year, Matt, you and I were talking about how the NFC West coming out of the 2019 draft had become one of the most intriguing divisions in football. Well, they're handing the baton over to the AFC. And my goodness, the AFC North has become a whole hell of a lot more competitive. It starts with these Bengals. Higgins is uh, 6'4", 216 pounds, long strider, nice catch radius. In fact, that is the thing that he is most known for. He scored a touchdown on 20% of his catches at Clemson. Obvious huge red zone weapon. I comped him to Preston Williams because I felt like he was a little green and raw. But uh, Eric Edholm, the Yahoo Sports draft expert, comped him, in fact, to A.J. Green, who he will assumedly be lining up opposite from, if not 
this fall, assuming we have a season, uh, maybe soon thereafter. Yeah, T. Higgins, like, I didn't like him as a first-round pick. I would have thought that... I didn't either. Yeah, I, I think that that would have been a bad pick. Like, I think this is a classic case of, like, oh, Eagles fans, like, have heard of T. Higgins before. So, like, he should be, because he's a popular college player. But I think he's a... Because he scored a touchdown every tw- on 20% of his catches. So it's a nice highlight reel. Yeah, exactly. And, like, he plays for a big program that's on, like, the national stage, whereas TCU... Not as much, you know, so I I like T Higgins, though, as a second round pick, because I think he's like a classic old school throwback possession receiver number two guy. Like growing up as a a tortured Panthers fan, I always think of like Moosin Muhammad as that type of guy. As a Bears fan, I loved Moosin. Oh, well, that's weird because we actually had him when he was like good. (laughs) But uh, I mean, we Jesus, I just said we kill me now. But uh, that was hashtag. That was a tough, tough look for your guy, uh, Matt Harmon here. But no, I think like T Higgins is that type of Moosin Muhammad possession receiver. Not really anybody that I think even has potential to be a number one receiver at all. Like I don't love that. I don't like the AJ Green comp at all, but I really like the collection that's around Joe Burrow because let's take AJ Green out of the equation for a second because he's not been in the equation very often the last couple of years. No, he hasn't stayed healthy (laughs) for the past few years, right? Just T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, maybe Auden Tate if he can get healthy at some point. Like that looks very similar to like the collection of number two receivers that. Sean McVay and Zach Taylor put together with the LA Rams. Like I don't think Cooper cup, Robert Woods or Brandon cooks is a number one receiver, but it's a nice collection of really strong number two guys. And I think this group in Cincinnati has the potential to be that. But then if you do put AJ green on top of it, if he is playing football, then it's a really good receiver core. So I think Joe Burrow, like sneaky has a lot to work with. Uh, Obviously there's still some questions on the offensive line. Is Joe Mixon going to show up with the rest of us uh, in fall? Uh, we'll see. But the receiver core has a lot going on here. You mentioned Joe Mixon, who is, when he is on the field, um, a very reliable, efficient pass-catching back. Gio Bernard is still on the roster. Uh, The Bengals are getting back Jonah Williams, their first first pick from last year to shore up that line a little bit. So I agree with you. And in fact, so does our own Dalton Del Don in terms of Joe Burrow's ability to make an immediate fantasy impact uh, Dalton has an article out on the website today Tuesday saying uh, which is titled fantasy winners from the NFL draft and Jer- Joe Burrow is one of the 10 that he mentions for all of these reasons as for T Higgins though I mean it's a target issue right I mean we, we mentioned he's not he's a rookie and he's not entirely refined no, um, no. I worry about him in press yeah, uh, sure. frankly um, press coverage um, because of his He's like a glider, right? He's not like an uber-physical receiver. um, But he's also going to have to vie for all of the people you vie against and with for for targets uh, against all of the other pass-catching weapons that you already mentioned. So I think this is is someone you want to keep an eye on for 2021 moving forward. I don't don't even anticipate him, like, making a splash at the end of the season, frankly. It's going to take a lot of injuries. No, I agree with you. I think he's definitely a long-term play and I like the long-term look of this this offense but yeah I don't think I don't think I want anything to do with probably any of these guys from a fantasy perspective maybe Tyler Boyd or John Ross if the price is right but I think Burrow is you know he'll probably have a good season but like a a rookie passer that's not a high-end rusher I 
definitely don't care about in fantasy. Conversely, I believe, and I don't know if you do, but Michael Pittman, who the Colts selected wide receiver out of USC, can make an awesome immediate impact. I love this pick. Yes. I mean, Zach Pascal, your boy out of ODU. Shout out. Drew 72 targets last year. That was an average of five looks per game. He also had under three catches, but hello, Jacoby Brissett and other issues. Um, T.Y. Hilton, he's 30 years old. He only played in 10 games last year, 14 the year before, so he hasn't completed a full season for back-to-back efforts. Pittman, I'm going to say it now, he's the team's number two. This is not, I don't know why he isn't higher in rankings. He is the team's number two. I can absolutely see him drawing 70 damn targets. I'm not worried about Paris Paris Campbell. I, I know that he was you know, from Ohio State and a second round pick last year, but he cannot stay healthy. He's got hamstrings all season, sports hernia, broken hand required surgery, but broke his foot in week 14. He was like in a walking boot in February. Yeah, no, for sure. Like he he was a big health question mark his rookie year. And I, I wasn't that that high on him as a prospect anyways. But I think that those two guys can be interesting long term together. But I think in, you know, like this season, it would be how do you line these three guys up in terms of, you know, the receivers? Because I think Pittman is going to win a job as a perimeter receiver here. And Zach Pascal is more of a perimeter receiver, but he played a little bit inside as well, too. I know we talked about that on one of the thousand streams we did. Uh, he was playing more inside last year towards the end of the season. And T.Y. Hilton has a history of playing on the perimeter, also a history of playing on the inside. So there's a lot that they can do with these three guys. And then if Campbell beats out Pascal and or Pittman, he's a guy who can play mostly on the inside. So there's a lot that they can do with this receiver group. And I think Pittman, like how many times have we seen Philip Rivers jive with a perimeter jump ball specialist you think of vincent jackson you think of michael or uh, malcolm floyd excuse me and uh, obviously more recently mike williams now rivers is not the same player that he was i think he's steeply on the decline but Pittman can do more than just be a long ball specialist like like a malcolm floyd was for example so i agree with you really high on this guy really high on the landing spot also when you're thinking about Pittman from like a long-term perspective rivers isn't going to be around uh, that much longer. And I, I I don't think Jacob Eason is the answer either. They're fourth round pick, but somebody else will but be But I don't think it matters for Pittman. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't like let him get his reps now with a vet who can find the best in I him. I, and I also don't think Rivers is as washed as people are saying, because we're forgetting the difference in O-line from the Chargers, San Diego slash Los Angeles to Indianapolis. I think that that's going to make yes. a big yeah. difference. Yeah. Um, and I think that Pittman can bail, can bail him out because after the catch, he also balls out. His dad bears mentioning, and I don't remember. I feel like I've said this a million times, but I don't know if I've said it on this show. Um, his dad won a Super Bowl in the Gruden Bowl for the 2002 season as a running back. And you can see that show up in Pittman's style of play. Also, fun fact about Pittman, when we're talking about a quarterback who may or may not be washed, who is on the decline, but we don't know how far down the cliff he has fallen, uh, Pittman has dropped just 2.8% of his career catchable targets, that's per PFF, throughout college. So what a way to bail out an aging quarterback. Yeah, good player. I mean, I think he's my favorite of the guys that are not, you know, the CeeDee Lamb, the Jerry Judy, the top guys to turn into a number one receiver, you know, uh, among these other players that were taken on day two or whatever. So I really like the player a lot. And I think this is a good landing spot for immediate opportunity. 
Uh, not a good landing spot if you were the established vet in the Lions' backfield uh, because DeAndre Swift is going to probably take your job, carry on. I mean, carry on, carry on, carry on, but I don't know if you're going to be carrying on what. <laughs> um, Johnson played in 10 games in 2018, which was obviously his rookie year, and then only eight games in 2019. I do think it's interesting because the knock against him and part of the reason people were um, supposing why he couldn't stay healthy was because of his high pad level. And yet one of the cons against Swift is that he too has a, pa a high pad level. Like, I don't think they're similar players. I, I think the comp for Swift is Dalvin Cook, but I do find it interesting that they took two players with enough overlap. Like, I always sort of thought that Jonathan Taylor, if, if the Lions were going to go with a with a, a running back, they'd go with J.K. Dobbins. They'd go with Jonathan Taylor. They'd go maybe even if they wanted to wait and let someone fall, Zach Moss or A.J. Dillon. Like, they wouldn't go for... Basically, despite the fact that DeAndre Swift was considered by the consensus to be the top ranked running back in this year's class, like someone who is a wonderful pass catching back, very elusive, very speedy. I think he has great tempo. He's got that pitter patter that Bucky Brooks always talks about, but he's not like a pile mover. Yeah, for sure. And I think. It's kind. Of, I feel like both of these guys are losers. You know, Carry on Johnson and, yeah. and DeAndre Swift because, like, I don't think like even if you imagine that DeAndre Swift is the RB one come week one, he's the he's at the top of the depth chart. You know, he's the more recent guy that they drafted. In terms of draft capital, there's not a huge gap here. Uh, you know, between the two guys from when they were drafted, in terms of like uh, again a capital perspective. Also, like Carry on Johnson's not a bad back. He's doesn't he's not terrible. No. I don't think he's gonna go away, and that's the problem. Like even if Swift wins the top job, I think either way these guys are gonna eat into each other, and I don't find this to be a good enough offense where I want to go fishing for two backs in fantasy. A hundred percent. Uh -huh. and, and again, they don't complement each no. other. They just compete with one another. Yeah. Um, I, I do. The other interesting thing I was trying to understand from a patrician point of view, if you have a back that's got durability issues that hasn't stayed healthy since you drafted him for a full season, the one of the pros for DeAndre Swift when looking at the other two backs, J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor, uh, who were in the same tier as he was, uh, Swift only had 513 collegiate touches. J.K. Dobbins had 796 and Jonathan Taylor had 968. <laughs> so maybe you like the idea of fresh legs. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think it's more of a long term investment than like a short term investment, which is why you could see. I mean, I running back is never a long term investment, but like still you could see them mm -hmm. use carry on Johnson more this year. Say goodbye to him next year and then. You know, Swift is maybe your feature guy in 2021, 2022, or maybe he's just never that guy. And, and it's just a rough landing spot all around. Yeah, I don't, I don't think this is an automatic. We're going to talk about like Los Angeles's backfield, which I think is very different. But I don't think this is an automatic. Uh, Swift is getting like 70 percent of the touches now. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, uh, I mentioned Jonathan Taylor. So let's go ahead and talk about him because the Colts with their second pick in the second round second pick of the draft overall, actually, uh, they are not playing around. They are definitely trying to take advantage of whatever window they believe Phillip Rivers have has and upgrading, at least in their estimation, Frank Reich's estimation, uh, at the running back position, 
grabbing Jonathan Taylor, who is an absolute workhorse at Wisconsin. I mean, I mentioned his 968 career carries. Um, So, yeah, Marlon Mack, he's been put on notice. He did see, it's worth noting, uh, over 17 carries per game in 2019, but only six goal line carries on the season, which is Mm. 0.4 per game. And I also thought this was an interesting stat because I think a lot of people were surprised when they saw Marlon Mack um, when they saw this draft pick because Marlon Mack had been serviceable, right? And there were other reasons that we could explain away his his productivity. But I found it interesting that he averaged a YPC of 3.5 when facing base fronts. Not stack fronts. That's a base front behind a top 10 ranked run blocking unit. I don't know. I guess that's just not efficient enough. It's not explosive enough, especially if you are throwing everything you've got at a window and in a division that's wildly competitive. Yeah, right. Like all these teams are pretty good here except Jacksonville. So I think like the Colts can't, it's just, it's crazy how different the Colts feel like from just one calendar year ago, you know, like not even less than that nine months ago. Yeah, right. I mean, the the luck thing happened right before the season started and it's, it's just crazy to think back on all that. But like, yeah, I mean, Marlon Mack is a guy who can, produce in a really good situation because I think he's not an untalented back and I think he's got some definite positives to his game but like yeah look he's a play was he like a fit was he a fifth round pick I think he was he was like a day three draft pick I don't think he was anybody that that's right yeah so like not a guy that you know was super well thought of coming out of school like obviously had some ability but lands in a situation behind a great offensive line like you mentioned at the time that he was drafted with a great quarterback in his prime now it's a very different situation for the Indianapolis Colts like that offensive line is still there but it's similar to it's kind of similar to the argument because I think you could definitely take some shots at the Colts like you have some bigger needs than just running back like why are you taking a running back in the second round but I think it's a similar argument with a lot less capital spent on it that like people made when the Cowboys took Zeke which was you built this great offensive line why not take full advantage of it why not take it from you know an eight to a ten and I think that's what you do when you draft a back like Jonathan Taylor who I think is really talented I think is really explosive and has that workhorse ability to really maximize this line now the 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 counterpoint to that argument would be there's really like going from an eight to a ten you don't need you don't need to it's 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 not really doesn't move the needle that much but that's why I think the Colts made this move and I think that's important for us too because also like Mac was a guy that they also kept in a confined box. Like they never used him in the passing game, even though he has some chops. They really never, they trusted him with big workloads in certain situations, but not consistently. They weren't, he was not their feature back or anything like that. Now I think Taylor might not be their feature back right away. Cause I think Mac and to a lesser degree, Naheem Hines might still figure in here, but you gotta love a landing spot that has that offensive line where they're trying to maximize that. I think you do. And in my rapid reaction, I imagine this to be a 60-40 split between Mac and Taylor. And also mentioning the fact that, I mean, first of all, I don't know if you agree with a 60-40 split, but you mentioned Mac's lack of usage in the passing game. Well, the biggest con other than maybe the tread on his tires against Taylor was his usage in the passing game. And in fact, 62% of his career catches at Wisconsin came in his final year and According to uh, Sports Info Solutions, in 2019, he recorded 26 receptions on 39 targets, 31 of which were deemed catchable. So he's not that great at it. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, I do think Naheem Hines is going to continue to be a thorn in the side of both of these players. I don't imagine that that Taylor's, I think that Taylor's going to be the goal line guy. When you look at the fact that Matt got goal, six goal line carries and some of this is, is like script, you know, game script dependent, but like, I th- and you think you see what, what Taylor does at the goal line, how he does in fact, unlike Deandre Swift, push a pile. Like that seems to me like he's a touchdown maker and Frank Reich wants a touchdown maker in his offense. And also, you know, there's not a new story. If you have an aging quarterback, maybe you want to take some pressure off and use a running back. And now you've got some theoretical field stretchers to, and a great offensive line. So you can give the kids some room to run. So I, I don't, here's the one thing I'm worried about. And I said this when I was thinking about his skill set because of his usage in the passing game and, and his experience as a receiver. I worry about I worried about like a Darius Geis, not in terms of injury history, but just in terms of usage situation that if, you know, the the knock against Geis coming out of LSU was that he wasn't much of a receiver. And the counterpoint to that is like, well, he hasn't been given the opportunity. And so people can say the same thing about about Taylor, but he's not going to be given the opportunity, I don't think, here in Indianapolis, at least not immediately. And so I think his overall ceiling as a player is going to be a bit stunted. Yeah, I definitely think there are questions with the ceiling. Um, but, you know, things change really quickly. And, you know, at, at the same time, like we were playing Jonathan Williams last year, you know, in fantasy. Yeah, like, yeah. and that guy's on his 10th team on his uh, eighth hype train. And, you know, <laughs> also like what it was a Jacoby Brissett led offense. And I do think Rivers is an upgrade here in 2020. So, yeah, I mean, the floor here is pretty good. I think you can ask some questions about the ceiling, but if Matt gets hurt again, then you're looking at a guy that you want to play every single week. Sure. Um, LaVisca Chenault was the next player off the board out of Colorado wide receiver to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I mean, I just poured one out for all those shares of Chris Connolly that I had. <laughs> Don't think those are going to work out so well. Yeah, I think, this is a good – I really like this pick a lot because I think there's potentially some overlap between how you'd want to use a guy like Chenault and how you'd use a guy like D.D. Westbrook. Like I don't think their skill sets are the same, but you probably want to line up Chenault in the slot, move him around, get him away from press coverage, and that's a lot of what they do with Westbrook. But at the same time, like I think Westbrook is a jag. I think Chris Con- – like – in both manners of the word. Like he's a Jacksonville Jaguar and he's also just a guy. Oh no, yeah. I got that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that after I said it, I'm like, right, I'm talking about the Jaguars. Like I think Dee Westbrook is a Jag. I think Chris Conley is a Jag. I think DJ Chark sure. has a chance to be a, like a really good player for sure. So why not take someone that they can get, you know, another step from here. And I like Chenault's fit with uh, Gardner Minshew as well, because this is not a great offensive line. I think, He's going to still be getting the ball out pretty quick. And Chenault's a guy that you can trust from like a contested catch and after catch perspective. I comped him to like a DJ Moore type of player, which like, but a lesser version, which is there's flashes of abilities to run routes on both of their college tape. And then DJ Moore really struggled with that in his first year, got a little bit better in the second year. But the important thing is Moore is, if not the best, one of the best contested catch and after catch receivers in the NFL. And I think Chenault can be really good in those two regards as well. Well, you mentioned those, those two aspects of his game. And I think that you like him in contested situations because of his physicality. 
And you like him after the catch because of his physical. I mean, I think his he is most explosive after the catch. Like that's what pops the most about him. He's broken 44 tackles since 2018, which is the highest in the the in the FBS. I mean, it's wild. Um, but I think he fell, and we should mention this to people who may not be following as closely. He fell because he's battled a lot of injuries, yes. and a lot of that is attributed to that physical playing style you know it's, it's something actually I thought about with Michael Pittman who had the shoulder surgeries and was a is a four-year college player like Chenault has also had injuries and they do play they're really really running back-esque after the catch and that is going to lead to potential durability concerns yeah I thought like I know a lot of people thought that Chenault could be like a round one pick I always kind of saw him as a round no. two guy um so I don't know that he fell that much but at the same time, yep, the injury concerns are absolutely real. And I mean, that's going to be the when you play the game the way he does. Like, it's not unfair to say he's like Cordero Patterson if Cordero Patterson could actually run routes. You know, I think that there's some similarities to, to their game there. Um, but Cordero Patterson could not. Um, one of my friends always said uh, he couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, so <laughs> there's that. That's good. Yeah. And and actually, if we're talking about Jacksonville for a second, you know, obviously their defense is in a complete rebuild right now. Does that mean when you have a player like Chenault, let's also let's also hypothesize that Chenault is able to get on the field, that he's healthy, um, that the core muscle surgery goes brilliantly and there aren't any issues, right? Like he's back to normal um, and ready to start. Are we thinking that Gardner Minshew could like sneak into the top 20 quarterback performers because of the explosive playmakers he has and because of the holes on defense, which might make him and push him, if we're talking about the division that's kind of competitive, to to pass a ton and to move the ball a bunch? I kind of go back and forth on that because, like, I think going from your boy Flip to Jay Gruden is a big win. Like, I think Gruden's a good offensive coach and, like, I think his style of offense fits really well with the Gardner Minshew. And I also think Minshew having someone like Chenault to uh, check the ball down to, as opposed to just Leonard Fournette flumping around in the flat there, like <laughs> flumping, like he, flumping. he, he was like good in fantasy. Cause he caught a bunch of passes, but like all of those passes are like net negative for the offense. Cause uh, <laughs> like they're at the line of scrimmage and he doesn't really do anything with them. So I think having a player like that is actually like a big benefit for a player like Minshew. But at the same time, like I, I just, I don't know that Minshew's the type of quarterback that's going to be spraying the ball all over the field, but maybe he takes another step forward. So I think he's a fine, um, like, I think he will be one of those guys that, if he has a good couple of matchups in the first few weeks, like he could be maybe a player that you try to test out as a streaming quarterback. Hmm, interesting. It was just a high, like a thought that I was having as we were talking. Um, so this thought that Ryan Pace has on obviously a daily basis is what <laughs> new tight end toy can he play with? And with the Bears first, first pick in the whole goddamn draft, they went Cole Komet. Out of Notre Dame. I like this pick as a Chicagoan because Komet went to St. Viator. He went to the Catholic school that was the rival of that. He's from Arlington Heights. I'm from Mount Prospect. This is a neighboring um, suburb. And I, like, Jimmy G went to Rolling Meadows, which was our 
rival. I, I was a prospect knight. Like I, that was our rival high school in the public school system. But like all the like kind of snotty rich kids who did way more drugs than those middle class blue collar kids that I went to school with because we couldn't get our hands on it, um, all went to Viator. Nice. And so Cole went to Viator. Arlington Heights had one hell of a like parade for him, car parade for him. So part of me is like, yeah, hometown kid. And he went to Notre Dame, which I mean, I go Michigan. But like, uh, I don't know. I just think, you, why do you need 10 tight ends? Why did you sign Jimmy Graham to a two-year, $16 million deal if you were going to draft the first tight end I mean, yes, he was like the first ranked tight end. Um, I'm still, I mean, we were joking about it. Like, I'm still working through the problems of it. He's not a capable receiver yet. He's a two-year starter. Okay. Anyway, he doesn't have any fantasy value next year, so it doesn't matter. And he comes to Kyle Rudolph, and I don't even, he played baseball at Notre Dame. What other fun facts do you need? Yeah, not not the best, <laughs> not the best pick. This isn't a very, this is not a very good offense. Like, they have Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, and I don't think you can I don't think you can literally count on anything else here. I know I'm supposed to move the the show forward. I'm just sitting here no, staring at the no, sky. I, though. I think I think it's worth um <laughs> ruminating. I, I think it's worth I think it's worth just letting it hang out there in the air for a little bit. Uh that like uh, the best the best hope that this offense has is uh Nick Foles takes over at some point, who we know is not like he's not good unless the situation is perfect, <laughs> and this situation's not perfect. Well, that's not nice, Matt. That's not nice. But it's true. Uh, I mean, counting <laughs> on Nick Foles as anything more than a really quality backup has proven to be like it didn't work for the Rams, it didn't work for the Jags, and it didn't work for the Eagles when they tried okay. to do it that last time. Sure, fine. <laughs> I I don't hate fine. I you don't like hate Nick, Nick Foles. Foles as much I, of a- I, that's fine. I like Nick Foles because I like the familiarity he has with like everybody on the damn coaching staff. And if this is an abbreviated offseason, he has less to learn. So I like that he is he can move forward without having like a ton to discover over the months that may or may not happen in the offseason. Right. Like, so I like that. Yes. I also thought we were going to get him a receiver. I, I mean, the guy has a crazy cannon. Why, like, if T. Higgins had fallen, like, that would have been a great pick. I, I just, I don't know what we're doing with 10 f- tight ends. And this guy is an inline blocker. Like, I don't even understand. He's, he's receiving chops aren't great. Like, that's the other piece of it. And you've got Jimmy Graham. And, like, I don't, I mean, I'm thinking this is great for Allen Robinson is, like, the man. That's fine. He's going to see a ton of targets. I do think this is really nice for Anthony Miller because mm-hmm. uh, there are moments, you know, when we we hypothesized about this in Jacksonville last year that um, that DJ Moore might see a nice boost because Foles has a connection with like a slot receiver. So like maybe that means things for Anthony Miller if he sees the field as much or more than fingers crossed Tyreek Hill. Like, I don't know. I mean, not Tyreek Hill. That's uh, 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 Tariq Cohen. That's. Tariq Cohen. Yeah. That's obviously wishful thinking. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think Miller. I mean, Miller was at least legit good to end last year. Sixty-two yards over in per game in his last five games of the season or last seven games of the season. So, so maybe he's healthy. I think those Fine. two. I think like Miller and Robinson are a really good wide receiver duo. It's just like I said, the problem is at, with Tariq Cohen in mind as well. There's really nothing you can count on here. KJ Hamler, you're everybody's favorite receiver out of Penn State. 
The Broncos are just loading up my other favorite quarterback, Drew Locke, with weapons. Um, this is what I think is interesting. When I saw this pick, I was like, wait, KJ Hamler is 5'11 and 178. He's basically the same size as Henry Ruggs, who played with Jerry Judy at Alabama. So it looks to me like there's, I mean, uh, Henry Ruggs is 5'11 and 188. So there's a 10-pound difference between the two players. Uh, KJ Hamler, he's an absolute playmaker. Um, he didn't compete at the combine because he had a hamstring injury, but everybody anticipated he'd run a 4-3 40-yard dash. So again, a wild speedster who could take the, the lid off a of defense. So it seems to me that like you're giving Jerry Judy, not just Cortland Sutton here, but you're also giving him to work off of Cortland Sutton, but you're also giving him uh, like rugs light or rugs raw to move out of the slot. Hello, this is production. Yeah, we'll see if he beats out Deshaun Hamilton in camp. Oh, God, keep holding your breath. <laughs> if I am holding my breath for Nick Foles, then you are blue over Deshaun Hamilton. <laughs> you are not wrong about that. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I think like Drew Locke is probably one of the biggest winners from the NFL draft because like you've got I mean, unless unless you want to say the fact of like, damn, if he screws it up this year, then he screwed it up because like Cortland Sutton's really good. Jerry, like all these guys are good. And then you add a piece like KJ Hamler. That's just another option, another dimension. Like as long as um, I still think one of my favorite things from last year was when Michael Lombardi said that the Broncos could throw a, a Pepsi machine out in place of Garrett Bowles. And like <laughs> it would be a better option because at least the Pepsi machine wouldn't get called for holding. Like as long as that doesn't tank their <laughs> offense, this is a really good group. <laughs> Pepsi. I want to do a note. Uh, yeah, I want to do a no excuses article. Nice. Uh, where you take all of the players who like, that's it. You've been, you've, I mean, obviously Aaron Rodgers is not on that list, Oh God! but everybody else has been given all these weapons. And I'm thinking about Aaron Rodgers because we both liked Equinemius St. Brown, a receiver that is permanently in Rodgers, like basement, doghouse, whatever you want to say. But he was out of Notre Dame, just like Chase Claypool, who the Steelers drafted, I, I mean, like everything from what I can understand, Claypool is, is likely to line up outside. Yep. He's, he offers a ton of upside. But again, there's from a fantasy perspective, a lot of target issues to deal with because you got Juju, you got James Washington, you got Deontay Johnson. Um, Claypool is fast and he's got hops and he had an excellent combine, with show, which certainly bolstered his stock. But I don't know. He had a late start. He was a basketball player. That shows up. I just don't know where and when you fold him into this offense. I don't, I'm not excited about Claypool at all, really, in fantasy, at least just from what we know right now. From right now. Because, like, if he goes in in a theoretical world where there's a training camp and like he has a, he has a good training camp and like crushes it. Like then, and he's winning an outside receiver job. That's great. But like Washington played well last year. I like Deontay Johnson. I like some of the flashes of like really good route running we saw from him and Juju. I, I think this is great news for Juju because he can like all that BS about like, ah, he can be an outside receiver. No, 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 no. Like they've got three guys that they can play on the perimeter right now. Let's keep, my man Juju in the slot. All right. Like let's, let's do that. So, and that'll be good for him. I think it's good for big Ben to have another weapon. Um, you know, we all remember like all those years ago when every off season, it was like big Ben was bitching for a big receiver for no reason. And then like Martavis Bryant was there for a hot second. And maybe this is like a sort of trying to get back to that. I don't know, but um, it's definitely like 
Pittsburgh has some things to work with. And I think if Big Ben and James Conner are back to 2018 form, this offense could be pretty intriguing. But I think those are two big question marks. I agree. So, I mean, people can be excited about the player and Steelers fans can be excited that there's another weapon. I do think the, a big winner is James Conner. I mean, that's that's yeah. nice. They didn't yeah. like use a, a, a one of these first three rounds to add a running back. So yeah. um, Cam Akers is the next player that we're going to discuss. This is a player whose college production was a little bit spotty, but he was running behind a wildly bad offensive line. And he just dealt with a lot of coaching issues and line issues. But very electric player, a threat to break off a chunk play at any at any time. And he joins, well, he joins Malcolm Brown. We can't forget about him. And Daryl Henderson. Would love to the try. Rams. Would love to try. <laughs> right. Um, and Daryl Henderson, the one of the Rams rookie running back picks from last year um, to fill the sizable hole left by Todd Gurley's departure. Yeah, this one is interesting because they take Cam Akers at 52nd overall. It's not that much higher. It's an, it's one round higher than where they took Henderson last year. So yeah. you could definitely ask some questions about, hey, Rams, why do you keep spending day two draft picks when you have a ton of needs? Um, I think the question with Akers is not so much. And not a lot of picks. A, also. Well, like, no, we, never, uh, never a lot no of picks. picks. <laughs> never a lot of picks. They they had two second rounders this year. And we're going to talk about the second one uh, in a little bit mm-hmm. too. But like with Cam Akers, I think the biggest question is not, do you think he beats out Henderson? It's okay. If he does beat out Henderson, how good is this offense? You know, like, is this an offense that you think is still one of the 12 best in the league. I, I don't know. I mean, they tra- I think they successfully transitioned to a 12 personnel based group that ran with power pretty well towards the end of last year. I don't think, and like Gurley at least produced a decent amount towards the end of the season in spurts because everything with Gurley's in spurts at this point. But, you know, they have Robert Woods, Cooper Cup a rookie receiver. They have Tyler Higby who exploded last year and Jared Goff is still like a mid-level quarterback to me. So, and also they had a lot of problems on the offensive line last year too. And I don't know that they necessarily have made giant leaps there. So I think that's the bigger question with acres is he could certainly win this job and be the starting running back. Cause Henderson really didn't show very much last year, but even if he does, how much is that worth? But first of all, Henderson wasn't really given many opportunities to show a whole bunch. Yes. And Akers has worked and flashed behind a bad offensive line. So maybe that factors into some of the thinking. Um, I agree with you that the decision making on where to prioritize your resources, which are notably limited, is head scratching. Um, I do, though. I mean, I think for fantasy, I would imagine that this becomes a bit of a competition. There's probably a hot hand situation. Todd Gurley did average around 15 or 16 carries per game in 2019. So we know that the team is going to want to lean on the run if they can. So I I just, I, I foresee this being much more of a platoon and I am not willing to say who is at the advantage in terms of touches right now. Yeah. I I think like for sure they want to have a committee. I mean, they kind of, said as much uh their gm said um, when asked about the running backs after todd Gurley was left he said quote we 
they're going to utilize more than one workhorse moving the ball with different skill sets. So, well, there you go. Yeah, I think these two guys will split. Uh, let's see who is next. Uh, let's start. Pay- oh, Jalen Hurts, who we talked about. So Jalen Hurts um, is going to Philadelphia. I don't understand. By the way, congratulations, Carson Wentz. He and his wife welcomed their first child, a baby girl, into the world. So not as all lost for you. Carson, there's still things to be optimistic about, especially in the midst of a quarantine slash global pandemic. But Jalen Hurts also, I do not believe, is gunning for Carson Wentz's job. Carson Wentz has had trouble staying healthy. Jalen Hurts, you want to talk about like an explosive, violent physical playing style that is all hurts he's also a wildly successful rushing quarterback in fact the knock against him was that he wouldn't develop as a passer because he wouldn't put the ball in the air and when he moved to Oklahoma from Alabama they shifted the offense to be a more run first mobile offense to suit Hurts' skill set I do not see this is to me Doug Peterson is looking at Sean Payton and he was like you know what you don't get to be the only Swiss Army knife, the only gadget maker in the league. I want some toys too, and I'm going to play. It could very well be true that they want to use him as like a Taysom Hill guy. We'll see. Uh, We'll see how that goes. I mean, if they hadn't, if they hadn't, if they had picked a different wide receiver that wasn't used on, wasn't used in like manipulated schemes and on jet sweeps and a a thousand wild ways at TCU, and then been most productive when used as a gadget. I wouldn't, there wouldn't be as much of a pattern here. But the fact that that, like, that pick to me informs the idea that Peterson wants to get crafty. And let's not forget that, like, you know, whether it was Reich or Peterson that drew it up, they won the Super Bowl on the Philly special. He is not just a West Coast Coast offense HC. Like, he does get crafty. And let's also not forget that they won that Super Bowl with their backup quarterback. Like, I, yeah, I'm fantastic. I mean, that's be glad Philadelphia for capable quarterbacks that are backing other players up. You know what? The bears have them now. You're welcome. It all comes full circle. Sick. Uh, I mean, it's just too bad. They couldn't keep Trey Burton in that like packed room of tight ends to complete the, with the Colts, complete the set. Um, I forgot Trey Burton signed with the Colts. Uh, there's a big, there's a big move. Um, now I think like, with with this pick, like it's it's gonna get panned. I mean, I like joked right afterwards that I think they made this pick purely for the sake of like sports talk radio in the city because you know that like the first time Carson Wentz misses a game or has a bad game, it's like Jalen Hurts is is a winner. Uh, that's a terrible accent. But is that your Philadelphia accent? Either way, Jalen Hurts <laughs> is a winner. Okay, like in college he won. This is the guy. Like I don't know though. Like. They said afterwards that they wanted to be a, quote, quarterback factory. I think Carson Wentz is a is a good quarterback. I don't know that he's ever – he's remained a good quarterback. I don't know that he has ever recaptured the MVP top five quarterback form that he showed in that 2017 season before Nick Foles won them a Super Bowl. So I think it's worth not only just having an insurance policy, but look, if Wentz keeps getting hurt, at some point you have to think, like, maybe we'll be better off with a – younger cheaper option that we have groomed in-house in this quote quarterback factory and in the meantime if they can get some explosive use out of him on the field like it's it's fine it's I see the wisdom in the pick more so than maybe the general Eagles fan consensus does but it's still it's still yeah right it's still just 
it's a little tough. It's just, it's not as bad as the Packers thing, but it's just tough to swallow a contending team that wants to win a Super Bowl spending a round two draft pick on a guy that in like an ideal scenario touches the ball 30 times this year. Oh, sure. I mean, you're, you're not, we're not, we're not going to touch this guy in fantasy. This is just a football take. Oh no. I, I, same here. Same here. That's what I'm saying. Like I think from an Eagles fan perspective, it's tough because you're at a contending team and you're spending a second, your team is spending a second round sure. pick on a guy that in an ideal situation touches the ball 30 times this season. And that's probably aggressive. Yeah. Um, J.K. Dobbins, running back at Ohio State. This was actually my favorite running back uh, in this year's class. I liked him more than Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift, which was not the consensus. Um, I like him because he announced his authority when he first got to Ohio State as a freshman, and he ended up the starter as a, as a true freshman for part of the time. Um, he is drafted by the Ravens. Now, people think, huh, but Mark Ingram is there. One of the things that I really like about Dobbins, and obviously Mark Ingram's deal is is going to expire at the end of this year, I believe. Isn't that right? Uh, they can get out of it after this year and be like at totally the, at fine. The end of this but year. but he's so, technically he's on a, he was signed to a three year deal. Signed to a three year deal. So there's some opportunity for Dobbins to learn under Ingram. Ingram obviously not a spring chicken either. So um, Dobbins has the fresher legs. And this is the thing I like the most. He's pro ready in pass protection. He took over a hundred snaps blocking for his quarterback in 2019. And you definitely want to keep that quarterback in Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, pretty healthy. That's one of like, really, we're all worried about one of the things I even said last year, I'll own it. Like you, Lamar Jackson might get hurt. Well, if you have a, a, a rookie running back who is ready for pass pro on a, on the NFL level, which is rare, then you get him and you help shore up that line and create more holes. And he gets to be like the bruiser of the future. Yeah. And I think he's like not incapable as a pass catcher either, which is, you know, I mean, I think that's how Ingram has been throughout his career. Uh, He was also really good out of shotgun in college uh, statistically as a runner. And I also think that you want to run a lot of shotgun spread stuff with the Ravens offense as it is like, you know, it's it's. Do you want to pick a running back in the second round? I think you could pick some nits at that, but it's a great landing spot for Dobbins, and I think he's a good fit here. So overall, it's a win for him. I comped him to Ray Rice. So, oh well, there you go. I mean, that that seems to fit, right? Let's talk about Van Jefferson uh, out of Florida, wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, he's it's an interesting landing spot because like Josh Reynolds is probably not that good, and like there's no number three receiver there. So the only thing that I think is interesting about this is like. I think Jefferson's a really good route runner, like a good technician. Maybe that means he's going to make an immediate impact. And like, I think there's a question worth asking if they're going to be a 12 personnel based offense. What does that mean for Cooper cup who cannot play outside? So, well, but the other wild thing is that I have not, I'll admit, watched a ton of Van Jefferson tape. It is on the to-do, but Daniel Jeremiah who crushed the NFL draft coverage comped Van Jefferson to Cooper cup. Yeah. So, what are we going to do here? And also, this is the pick that the Rams acquired from the trade with Houston for Brandon Cooks. And so they get themselves not a compliment to Brandon Cooks, but a carbon copy, if I'm believing what, what DJ is to say, of the guy they already have in the slot. Yeah, it's a little, it's a strange one. Not not what I would have done. But I mean, again, if they're working on like a small ball offense with, you know, guys that get open cleanly, if you scheme them that way, then... I don't know. Maybe it fits. 
Uh, maybe I also thought before they drafted a wide receiver, like, and they, and they let, and they moved cooks. Maybe the thought was, we'll just run two tight end sets and, you know, change things around. We don't really, and, and you can throw Josh Reynolds out there because he does, he can high point. He has a nice catch radius. He's long and tall and one of those gliders. Um, and you know, in the red zone, you can use him as an alternate alternative to Tyler Higby. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Let's move on to, let's see, who do we have next? Denzel, Denzel Mims. Oh, I was stunned. Well, first of all, the Jets scored here. Yeah, like, I don't like win. to give, I do not, you know, normally make a practice out of saying nice things about Adam Gase. But in this situation, congratulations. I like Denzel Mims a lot. He was my fifth ranked wide receiver heading out of the draft uh, and are heading into the draft. Rather, I really like his skill set. I like what he was able to do at Baylor. I like the whole underdog mentality that Royal was able to capitalize on at Baylor. Um, he has a really physical playing style. It's interesting because I think his comp, his comps pre combine versus post combine change, like yeah. pre combine people are like, Oh, it's Elshon Jeffrey. It's AJ green. He's physical. He's slow. And then, and then you get to the combine and he lights it up and they're like, Oh, he's Tyrell Williams. So, <laughs> uh, you know, he's clearly a player who can do a lot. I uh, might be very different on tape than he is with a stopwatch, but I I think when you look at what I think uh, how many targets did Robbie Anderson draw upwards of ninety targets in twenty nineteen? There is a massive hole here, and frankly, I'll play some over under with you. Are you taking Denzel Mims over Jerry Judy? No. Are you taking him over Henry Ruggs? Like we're talking for just this year. Yeah, I it. Mm, I mean, the problem is, I just think this is going to be a truncated offense, and like I'm kind of probably out on all of most all of these rookies. I just look at the volume, and I did fall in love with Mims' skill set, and I hear that argument. But are you really sure that Jamison Crowder is even going to stay on the field? I mean, like I, I just don't see where else this is going to go, and I do think that Mims has a skill set. And he wins in contested situations. And if anything, Sam Darnold is a player when he gets under pressure, starts to get real scattershot. And Mims is the kind of receiver that can bail a quarterback like that out. Yeah, I, I do. Th- no, I mean, I like. Don't get me wrong. I like the player, and the landing spot was a huge win for player and team. I think like it's value wise. Yeah, I mean for sure because like I think Mims probably thought he was going to go in the back half of the first round because a lot of like. Media reports seem to be leaning that way. A lot of people really liked him as a late first round pick. So he's probably bummed that he fell, but he's going to get immediate opportunity. Uh, I think if Darnold and Mims have time to like work together in the off season, uh, like besides being six feet apart, like I think that there's a, there's a good chance that there's a good chance that he has a really nice rookie season. All right. We'll leave it there and we'll end on AJ Dillon. We got to end on the Packers. Also, I don't, I tweeted this. There are a lot of typos in that tweet uh, because I, I had spilled something at the same time as I was sending it out. So my apologies, but Oof. I am a uh, That's like at, that is like at home working for real. Like, why is there so many typos? Well, I had just spilled a whole jug of, of um, orange juice everywhere. So that's why, um, but I am scratching my head at the head scratching over the Packers draft. I'm not saying it makes 
I'm not saying it was wise. I'm not saying it wasn't just an emotional reaction and that there's very little logic to pick up on. But what I am saying that is that it shouldn't be surprising that a 40-year-old, so that's pretty young in terms of NFL head coaches, young for a 40-year-old, young for a head coach, yes, comes into, is told that when he lands in Green Bay, you better kiss Aaron's ring. You better do this. You better do this. Better do that. And he's like, dude's my age. Like, I'm like, are you like, this is a man. He's like trying to talk to Aaron Rodgers like a man, not like a 22 year old kid out of college. Like they are peers. And Aaron is like trying to do whatever Aaron Rodgers does. And so he's like, you know what? This draft, this draft was for Matt LaFleur. It wasn't for Aaron (laughs) Rodgers. It doesn't get to be here as Matt LaFleur trained under Kyle Shanahan. And then he was the OC in uh, in Tennessee where he worked with Derrick Henry and it was under Matt LaFleur granted it took until week 14 of the 2018 season (laughs) that Derrick Henry was (laughs) unleashed and so he's like oh you know who I'm gonna get the goddamn running back that comps to Derrick Henry and I'm gonna get myself a quarterback that's a project because I'm gonna go 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 show Kyle Shanahan that last names don't matter and that's exactly what happened. This draft was 100% for Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers. Also, you know, we talked on the Friday pod or, yeah, the Friday pod about how, like, how do you do this to Aaron Rodgers and what are they thinking? And I had kind of, like, been wondering, like, well, maybe m- maybe they get to the NFC title game and he doesn't have the weapons and they don't win. And maybe, like, the front office just doesn't think that they actually are in a Super Bowl window. Like, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't believe that it is possible and they'd rather rebuild now and look towards the future than spend resources trying to get someplace they don't believe it's possible to arrive at. And then I listened to the um, Therese and Charles Robinson, the Therese Paler, Charles Robinson, Yahoo's NFL podcast. And like Therese kind of said the same thing. So I, I think it's a real possibility that like that Matt LaFleur has 2021 vision. Oof, that is a that's a risky game to play. I also think like the I think the AJ Dillon pick is worse than the Jordan Love pick because yeah, I mean like <clears throat> Why? well because quarterback's the most valuable position in sports and like if you have decided that you're actually not in a championship window, you it it's cool to like get the guy to groom in the future and like if Jordan Love turns out to be a good good quarterback, nobody's gonna give. A- that you traded up for him and nobody's going to care that you pissed off Aaron Rodgers, you know, five years from now. But like, even if you have 2021 vision, take the running back. Then you don't need to take a running back in the second round to hope that he does nothing his rookie year. And like, so then, I mean, I get it. Like you don't want to trade. You don't want to pay Aaron Jones, big money. Cool. Like you don't want to pay running backs, big money, but just get the running back next year. Like, there's no real benefit. Like, yeah, but maybe you don't like Aaron Jones fumbling all the damn time and you want to like this is a message draft. You are putting you're giving Aaron Rodgers a very clear message and you're telling Aaron Jones to figure it out. You're telling your all your good players like I, I'm not saying that it was a neck up decision. I'm not saying that it was wise or practical or logical. It was obviously highly emotional, but it to me, it was a message draft. It is a message from Matt LaFleur to say, I am the king of Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers. You now will kiss the ring. You're on notice. And Aaron Jones, stop losing the damn football. Hold on to that. Good luck, Matt LaFleur. (laughs) (laughs) I love 
ahead. As a Bears fan, go ahead. Have yourself a draft. Yeah, right. I mean, hey, look, I've I've given Packers fan. I'm not a Bears fan. I don't care about any of the teams in the NFC North, but I'm friends with a lot of Packers fans, and I've always said like you guys have you guys have hashtag Packers privilege. Like I started saying it when Rodgers did that like stupid drive at the end of one of those Cowboys games and just like the Cowboys like had him in their grasp and then he just slit their throats. It's like no other fan ba- fan base gets to feel like, yeah, we got this like with a minute 30 left on the clock. That's Packers privilege. And if that's going to come down to the ground, I'm all for people losing their privilege. Well, uh, I, I didn't want to end on a note about privilege, but I guess I am because it's a privilege to serve you the fantasy community. And Matt and I will do it with alacrity. I'm going to tease Thursday show. We are going to start at the top of the show with one sneaky pick a piece from rounds three and beyond. So Matt, start thinking about yours. I'll start thinking about mine and we will be back. We'll record on Thursday. It'll probably be out on Friday. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to Boxed In. That's our, uh, our, that's our sports debate show. Matt just did another one. New episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Lizlo's underscore FF. And that is at Matt Herman underscore BYB. Until later in the week. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.